0: to episode number two of the Anxiety Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Josh Molina. So buckle your seatbelts and get ready to listen. So today we are talking about a book called When in Doubt, Make Belief. The author is Jeff Bell. He's a reporter in, who lives in California. Now he's a big figure in the OCD and anxiety community. Sorry, he's an anchor for the afternoon news at KCBS Radio San Fran. At least he was about a decade ago when this book was printed. So the book is uh, described as field-tested and retested and re-retested strategies for confronting fear and worry. So it's a good fit for the Anxiety Book Club. For author and news anchor Jeff Bell, these are words to live by literally. As someone who has spent much of his life battling severe OCD, Bell has had to overcome overcome crippling uncertainty few people can imagine. So listen up, listeners, party people. This book's for you, even if you don't have OCD, if you are just uh, anxious or have worries or just live a life that has in- uncertainty in it. Hashtag everyone. And uh, it was good for me. So I let's talk about it. Let's talk about this book. It's pretty short. It didn't take me that long. I finished it actually a week early. I, was, I thought it was going to take me all week all four weeks to read it because I do these once a month but actually I did it in like 3.2 so 183 or so pages and uh, yeah easy read pretty easy so all right so this book is about Jeff Bell had really bad OCD for a long time and needed a way out he needed to figure out how to get out of under the paw of this uh, very difficult mental disorder Uh, obsessive compulsive disorder it's something that I've been uh, working through for a long time I recently went to a conference in Austin, Texas about OCD and met a lot of really nice people there you know, it's it's a little embarrassing to talk about OCD because mental illness is, is something that people, including myself still feel shame around you know, it's not like breaking an arm, you know, that's cool Oh, you broke your arm? Wow, you must have been playing football, which is cool. No, I broke my head, my brain. I was born, and I had a thing in my brain called OCD, and it was hard. So it's hard, it can be hard to talk about. So kudos to Jeff Bell and others you know, for coming public with their stories and, and helping other people who have OCD or anxiety or worry about things um, get through their days here on Earth. So Jeff Bell distinguishes between two different kinds of doubts, right? Because doubt's not a bad thing to have, right? I'm a cynical, skeptical, I should say, kind of person, and I doubt a lot of what people say. I think most people say things that are false. So, it's good to have doubt, but he he draws a line excuse me, between healthy and unhealthy doubts. He says that healthy doubt is doubt based on intellect, and unhealthy doubt is based on fear. Intellectual doubt is fine, right? But doubt, you know, when you doubt something that's false, like our president says stupid things all the time, so it's good to doubt him. But then there's fear-based doubt. Unfortunately, the latter, he means fear-based doubt, can often disguise itself as the former, making distinctions between the two important to understand. Uh, Living with OCD and fear can be a real challenge. As I read this book, I see that the author has mentioned another book that looks interesting. My first impression is to write in the margins of my notebook about this book so that I might read it later. But then my second thought is, oh, Josh, you're never going to read that. You've written books in the margins of other books before and then you just never read them. Then it gets really interesting because my third thought, my mind sends out this thought that's is accompanied by an emotion this time. In this case, it's fear. I'm now suddenly scared of not writing it down for fear of missing out on a great book. So this is a particular fear of mine. I've got FOMO, fear of missing out, and now I'm afraid that if I don't write down in the margins of the book, this other cool book that was mentioned, that I might miss out on some transformative experience that would make my life amazing, and missing out on it will lead to some catastrophe. So it says, finally realizing how absurd this thread has gotten, I realize that I am now I better not write it down for fear of giving in to the OCD. The anxiety is a rational attempt of keeping me safe. So that sort of thought progression might be a little unfamiliar to you if you uh, don't know much about OCD or anxiety, but, you know, our brains are jungles. So there's a, just a little personal example to make it real for y'all about what it's like to have a brain with a monkey inside. Right, so we don't want to get lost in the fear-based doubt too much because... That's going to make our world small. And if, we, if we're not careful, if we give in to the fear-based doubt, then uh, it's going to be bad. He's interviewing this person, Stephen Hinshaw, a psychology professor. And he asks him, is it human nature for us to try to rid ourselves of the discomfort that stems from doubt? And the guy says, it is human nature, a lot of psychologists have said to be in a state of equilibrium. We resist at a bodily level terribly uncomfortable feelings. And we'll do almost anything to kind of right ourselves, to be out of this plagued mental feeling and out of this stress hormone-laden physiological burden. So the tough thing about anxiety is, even when it sounds really irrational, it's accompanied by these very real chemicals, like adrenaline and, I don't know, I'm not a scientist of the brain, so I don't know exactly which chemicals are in there. But even though fear can look from the outside like something that people shouldn't be too afraid of, especially... Like the, the little vignette that I just told about missing out on a cool book that I should read. It sounds absurd, but when I'm having those feelings, my brain is awash in sort of fight-or-flight uh, chemicals. And so I take these ideas really seriously, at least in the moment. Here's some, when, something I wrote. I have anxiety, have for most of my life. Sometimes it's manageable, but sometimes it makes you frantic, makes you feel unhinged. Sometimes when we are in the grip of extreme anxiety, we'll act in ways to get rid of the feeling, right? We were just talking about these tough feelings that later on our more sober selves will judge us for and may induce feelings of regret and self-loathing. So it's easy to be really judgmental of yourself when you do something that seems like petty or weak in a moment of anxiety to get rid of the feeling, right? You have the anxious feeling and uh, you act in a way that maybe your later more sober self who's, brain is not flooded with these um, adrenaline-like chemicals, will sort of judge you for. But here's what I'm saying. I want to take a moment to urge my listeners, all hundreds of thousands of you, that you should have greater compassion for those, for yourselves, if you experience anxiety. Anxiety hurts, okay? It's not made up. I'm not feeling much right now. As I speak to you, I'm in a pretty good mood. But people who have anxiety do not choose to have it nor are they responsible for having it. You might maybe argue that they're responsible for how much work they do to try to mitigate it, but, you know, for many people, it's an unfortunate side effect of having a brain, right? You wouldn't fault them for having a brain. Here on page 10, the author has a rubric for asking yourself whether or not the doubt of your experience is a fear one or an intellectual one. Here are the questions. Question one, does the doubt evoke More anxiety than either curiosity or prudent caution. What does that mean? Right? So let's take my example of writing a note in the margin of my notebook. Is it prudent to be fearful of missing out on a great book? No. I would say no. (laughs) It's not prudent. Uh, It's prudent to be afraid of, of tigers eating you or getting... Uh, AIDS, if you have unprotected sex with someone who might have AIDS, but it's not prudent to be afraid of missing out on reading a cool book because fear, you know, it should be restricted to those times in your life where you might lose something important like your health or a loved one. That is when it seems reasonable to have the feeling of fear, but if it's about missing out on a cool book, you could be upset or sad or maybe mad, but afraid, doesn't really seem like it fits there, right? Okay, question number two. Does this doubt pose a series of increasingly distressing what if questions? Right, I think yes, right? It's like, oh, what if I don't read this cool book, then I won't learn something awesome about mental health that will heal me in a profound way. And if I don't get healed in that way, I'll have a miserable life and everything will suck. Does this doubt stem from logic-defying or black-and-white assumptions? I think so. It's black-and-white, like, okay, maybe I won't read this book. Won't, won't well, maybe I'll read a different one. It, it, it is logic-defying that not reading this book would lead to somehow a bad life. Right? Okay. That's easy. Does this doubt prompt a strong urge to act or avoid acting in a fashion that others might see as excessive in order to reduce the anxiety it creates yes, I'd say so, right, either writing or not writing in the book, right? in this case, the way I would make my anxiety monkey happy is by writing in the book, but that is not my goal. It's to get better at anxiety, not to feed the monkey okay would would you be embarrassed or frightened to explain these what if questions to a police officer or work supervisor? Yes, this is embarrassing, okay, like I'm a very competent person. I got a good job, and people like me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it is embarrassing to say that I, uh, experience these mental phenomena about being afraid of not writing the titles of books in the margins of my notebook, right? Like, if I was running for office, would you elect me? No? It's weird. I'm not trying to be too self-critical, but the things that our brains do can be embarrassing. Okay? Uh. That's just, that's just kind of reality. So if, if you answer, you know, four or five of these in the affirmative, then what you're experiencing is a fear-based doubt. So Jeff Bell has what he calls sort of harm OCD, and it's mostly about harming other people. He has this recurring what-if question. It says, what if I, through my negligence, unknowingly harmed or might harm someone or something? This is the what-if question at the core of virtually all my obsessions. What if that pothole I ran over was actually a body, and someone is lying in the street bleeding? What if I unknowingly bumped into some kid in the crowded mall, perhaps giving him a concussion that will ruin his life? My harm button spikes my anxiety like no other and quickly leads to vivid obsessions about the horrors I have undoubtedly inflicted. My bully, his bully it's like his inner critic, his monkey, knowing this finds every possible opportunity to push that button. So... You know, it's easy for me to read this because I don't have this stuff at all. Like, And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying people's anxiety or OCD manifests in different ways. So he's afraid of hurting people. I never really hurt or think about hurting people. I think my OCD is a bit self-centered. Yeah, so he has this sort of concern all the time about whether some action of his hurt somebody. You know, just a good example of the variety of ways in which OCD can manifest. Other OCDs, you might say, are sort of couched in the idea of rationality. So I have a pretty deep-seated fear of being unhappy. Um, I don't know if everyone does, or maybe it's just me, but um, that fear, which I would say is like maybe rational, or, or kind of straddles the line, or, or is completely irrational. I don't know. Um, it affects the way that I behave, right? And so when I'm making choices, for example, I'm desperately trying to find some perfect choice because I'm afraid that if I don't, uh, the catastrophes will begin and I will become unhappy. And that's sort of like the worst possible thing, I guess, is being unhappy. For me, that's my fear. So, Okay, so he here's an example of someone who does what in OCD they call reassurance seeking. Um, there's this guy named Jared, and he lives in an apartment. He is afraid about... ...his oven, right? Like, did he turn it off or did he not turn it off? He's trying to leave the apartment, but he's not sure if he turned it off. Right? Because he was cooking something before. And he's got all these ideas in his head about it burning down and blah, blah, blah. So he checks a million times. And then he does something interesting. Instead of checking himself, he sort of farms out his anxiety to someone else. So he calls his dad and explains the situation and he asked for a second opinion. So in your opinion, he asked his dad, what's the likelihood of anything going wrong while I'm out? This is a trap door, okay? This is a trap door with OCD reassurance seeking because it just leaves you like deep, more deeply in doubt. It still teaches your brain that you're facing a scary situation that you should get um, someone around you, maybe preferably someone without OCD, to assure you that things are fine and that they will be okay. So this is this is tough for people who um, do this and for family members and loved ones because people with OCD might farm out their fears to you and be like, "Hey, just tell me that I am not going to burn the house down. Just tell me that everything's going to be okay. Just just tell me, you know, that things will be fine." I've done this. I used to do this a lot with my parents and with Other loved ones where I would seek reassurance. The trouble is, A, it's not good for me because it just becomes a pattern. And it also kind of makes you look ridiculous. And I'm not judging people who are listening and who have OCD. I'm judging myself, which I know I shouldn't be doing, but there it is. It's also hard because the people in your life who see you suffering, they want to help. So they want to give you that reassurance. But you're not helping. You're hurting you're enabling so you know people with OCD when they when they treat it they really need to educate their family members about it so this these are all sort of the problems and maybe he's gesturing towards a solution but Jeff Bell really has a a grand thesis I think it could sort of go like this you can have a doubt and you can have a worry and you can have anxiety about the future or about the past things that you have done and things that you plan to do things you're worried about doing. And you can't really ever know how things are going to turn out, right? Whether you take A or B or C, right? When we meet these forks in the road, and I'm making it personal for me because I deal with a lot of decision anxiety, you can't really know how things will turn out. So you could let the monkey fill your head with doubts. What if this happens? What if this bad thing happens? What if that bad thing happens? But... You know, absent the surety and the guarantee of it turning out badly, what if you flip those what-ifs on their head and you choose to believe instead that the universe is friendly and choose to live your life with reverence? so instead of all the, well, what if this bad thing happens? Or what if that bad thing happens? That bad thing happens. You say, oh, what if this really great thing happens when I make this choice? Or what if this awesome stuff happens as a result of this step that I'm taking? Because you can't know either way if it's going to be the bad or the good. But what if you choose? What if you choose to believe that the universe is friendly? It's an interesting idea. It's quite simple, but faced with doubt over whether things will go north or south, which we cannot know, perhaps it's better, wiser, just to choose the pro-universe approach. You might be saying, like, that's not novel or interesting. That's called being an optimist. And maybe you're right. But maybe sometimes we just have to remind ourselves. Or maybe for those of us who are cynical and think that optimism isn't as good as realism or something like that, we need to have a good argument made for why we might adopt an optimistic approach. Mindfulness can't in and of itself remind us of our true nature, but it can clear the way for us to recognize it. By calling out our fear-based doubts, we reinforce the fact that they neither comprise nor define us. They are simply thoughts, meaningless, except for the meaning that we assign to them. And whatever part of me that is capable of observing this, my inner believer, for lack of a better term, I like the gatekeeper phrase myself, is also capable of tapping into the full potential of the friendly universe. Right, so you're going through a tough situation and you're feeling really anxious or worried about something. To help yourself get caught up in the carousel of what ifs and scary thoughts, you can simply, maybe not simply, simply yes, easily no. You can simply say to yourself, I am experiencing anxiety right now. I'm feeling it in my head and in my chest. It feels bad and I'm suffering. Suffering is a part of life. Like the clouds that change overhead, even the dark ones pass eventually. right? So you can say a little... Nice little lullaby script like that, and maybe it will allow you to see your suffering for what it is sort of just an assemblage of feelings and thoughts, and to not get caught up in them too deeply, and to be able to move through them with compassion and patience, which is certainly one of my goals. So he's interviewing this guy named Stephen Hayes. I have found that two motivators, service and purpose, are more powerful for me than any others. And by service, he means like service to others and purpose, sort of acting intentionally in alignment with his own values. You know, how, how does that resonate with this guy, Stephen Hayes' experience with working with people and employing another framework that we might talk about at some point called ACT. I think what you're finding is that if you're going to do something other than what your mind tells you to do, what your emotions tell you to do, you're going to have to find a conscious part of you making choices about what you want to do. Okay? And when you choose to do what you really care about, especially things that establish something meaningful right here in the present, that gives you a kind of vitality and flexibility and a positive purpose that will allow you to walk through the hell of your own history. And a lot of people who struggle have some really difficult things to walk through. So the short and quick way to say it is that the positive will outweigh negative any day if you can find a way to connect with it. And here's the part I underlined. These positive, meaningful, purpose-driven kinds of experiences, what I want to be about, what I'm up to, how I want to spend my seconds on this planet. These are a sort of lighthouse in the distance, a guide. So I think what you're finding is that positive, purposeful, goal-directed, values-based action have a kind of gentle pull that is very flexible. If one way is not working, try some other way. So, you know, for those of you caught in the shadow of doubt, in these fear fear bubbles, in these anxious, um, topsy-turvy OCD, sort of mental, mental storms, I like to call them, maybe one way out is by defining your values, thinking about your purpose or what you want to be your purpose, thinking about what Is meaningful for yourself or in service to others, helping people perhaps, and aligning your life according to those sort of principles. Maybe if you have those principles, they can be a sort of goalpost, or here the metaphor is lighthouse that can be a guide. Right? When you don't know what to do and your mind is hemorrhaging uh, adrenaline because you're scared out of your wits. Maybe if you can reach down into this um, structure that you're building and find your values, find your goals, and find your purpose, maybe you can align your life according to those principles and not worry so much about how things feel, but instead think more about how they align with those principles. And, you know, we're just getting a little taste of that, and I want to learn more about this maybe the next book club book will be about these values-based therapies or decision-making frameworks, but I'm excited about it, right, so I have a note here, page 89, getting very excited reading this book, it's titillating what it's offering in the entire ACT framework, values-based decision-making, acting in accordance with, quote, service to others and personal, quote, purpose as a shortcut to the right path as an employable, flexible heuristic that may allow us to walk through the hell of a confused mind state and quickly move us to resolution. Dot, 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 now about those values. <laughs> what exactly are those values? How do we get some values? Do y'all have values? So here's a uh, interview with Jeff Sizmansky. Is He's a PhD and director of something called the OC Foundation. He asks him, when working as an OCD therapist, you often recommend that your clients write their eulogies. Why? And he responds, you write your eulogy to get in touch with the things that are most important to you, those things that you are willing to work hard for. That's one answer. Another answer is that because anxiety by its nature takes your attention and directs your attention, you need to be well in touch with your values and goals so that you keep the bigger picture open. Jeff Bell says... That can be tough for people with OCD. If you've had OCD from a very young age, all you've done is, quote, manage. So you actually don't know who you are. You don't know what you like. You don't know what you don't like. You just know that you've been running from anxiety your whole life. People get to a point in treatment where they say, okay, now that my anxiety is starting to be reduced, I feel carved out, I feel empty. So when you ask them, what are your values and what are your goals? Do you hit a certain group of people who say, I have no idea? All right. So there's this idea of having a bigger picture. These sober, thoughtful values that you can lean on in times of distress or despair or doubt. Things that can help you shape your life according to a set of values rather than the whim of your brain or the direction of the wind or the latest fear on the horizon It's good to spend a little more time thinking about this greater good framework, because he makes it sound simple, but it's maybe hard to put in practice. So here's what he says on page 138. Breaking out of a doubt bully's grip is never easy, and as I've attempted to show, the worst thing we can do is fail to acknowledge his presence in what-if questions. So let's accept that when the bully is still in the equation, our good choice is going to involve taking or avoiding some particular action strictly because it promises the relief we're craving. Let's also accept that because we're still not free of the bully's influence, we are still confined to but two black and white options. So his greater good goals are about service to others and purpose. He says service can be as simple as putting a smile on someone's face or making ourselves available to someone who needs us. It can involve giving of our time, talent, or treasure in an infinite number of ways. Always with the objective of empowering others in some constructive fashion. Purpose... Is perhaps a bit more subtle, but it, too, can be very simple. Mary Ann Williamson once wrote, The purpose of our lives is to give birth to the best which is within us. I think of this quote often when trying to identify for myself what actions I can take. At any given moment, that might enhance my own sense of purpose. What can I do to bring out the best in myself, to empower myself in constructive ways? The answers might include reading a book, getting some exercise, learning a new skill, undertaking a new challenge... Or simply allowing myself to do nothing. So, this is sort of half of a framework, I would say, or or maybe it's a whole framework. But the process of finding out what your values are has not really been explained. It's sort of an open question that I have. I like the book. I think it's good. Um, I identified with a lot of the stuff in it, and I think it's uh, an interesting presents an interesting solution to the problems of OCD and fear and anxiety outside the normal ERP framework. I'm excited to explore more this idea of uh, values, generation, how we figure out what those are, and how we attempt to align our lives um, alongside those values. So, that's been this book, Uh, Jeff Bell's When in Doubt, Make Belief. I hope you have enjoyed the conversation we had today, and I look forward to speaking with you again at some future Anxiety Book Club meeting. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a great day.